welcome to the ESVS Podcasts. My name is Melina Vegalceni. And my name is Liliana Fidalgo Domingos. Here is another very common clinical scenario in which to explore the current evidence-based best medical treatment to prescribe. In our last clinical scenario podcast, we talked about a 71-year-old man, obese, former smoker, hypertensive, diabetic, non-insulin dependent, normal cholesterolemic, who was admitted for a left chronic lymph-threatening ischemia, Fontan grade 4, Rutherford grade 5, with minor tissue loss and a viable foot. The patient underwent hybrid revascularization with a PTA with covered stents in his left iliac axis, a femoral and arterectomy, and a profundoplasty with a pericardial patch, and a femoral below the knee, popliteal bypass with his good quality ipsilateral saphenous vein. The patient made an uneventful recovery with good reperfusion of the limb and a postoperative ABI of 0.7. We previously explored the best medical treatment to implement on this patient with chronic limb-threatening ischemia on arrival, before attempting limb savage or amputation. Now this patient has been successfully revascularized with functioning iliac stents and an autologous bypass. What would be the best medical treatment regime for this patient now, at discharge? And this time, unlike the previous podcast, let's say the patient does not have any arrhythmia which would require anticoagulation, so we can explore antithrombotic treatment specifically targeted to his severe peripheral artery disease and limb savage techniques. Yes, this is indeed a very common scenario. Should we prioritize medication targeted to the iliac stents or the infrainguinal bypass or harmonize both? For this scenario, we are going to focus again on the 2019 Global Vascular Guidelines on the Management of Chronic Limb-Threatening Ischemia, and we will add the 2021 ESC consensus document on antithrombotic therapies in aortic and peripheral arterial diseases and the Voyager Randomized Clinical Trial, focused specifically on patients with recent lower limb revascularization. We will complement the recommendations with those of the 2017 ESC Guidelines on the Diagnosis and Treatment of PAD in collaboration with the ESVS, the 2019 ESVM guidelines on PAD, and the 2019 ESC guidelines on diabetes, prediabetes, and cardiovascular diseases. This patient has been fortunate enough to have his limbs salvaged, with no postoperative cardiovascular events. But because of his advanced PAD, he remains at very high cardiovascular risk of both coronary and cerebrovascular events, fatal and non-fatal, and acute ischemic lower limb events and limb loss. The goal of the medical treatment will be to prevent all of them. The patient needs aggressive management of his cardiovascular risk factors, specifically diabetes and hypertension. Stay away from smoking, lose weight and take up daily exercise. This is non-negotiable. We will briefly remind the listeners of the evidence-based pharmacological treatment of diabetes and hypertension before we dig into the antithrombotic treatment and statins. Yes, there is plenty of information about this in our previous clinical case podcasts. This patient is a type 2 non-insulin-dependent diabetic. His hemoglobin A1c level should remain under 7%. Empagliflozin, dapagliflozin, liraglutide, semaglutide, dulaglutide are recommended as first-line in diabetic patients with established cardiovascular disease, with caution in the use of canagliflozin in this setting of CLTI, as described previously. Metformin is also recommended as first-line treatment in CLTI patients. This patient was taken empagliflozin. 
The target blood vessel in this diabetic patient would be systolic of 130 to 139 millimeters mercury and diastolic of 70 to 80 millimeters mercury. In general, it is recommended to start pharmacological treatment with a combination of an ACE inhibitor or angiotensin receptor blocker with a calcium channel blocker or tyoside or tyoside-like diuretic. This patient was treated with a combination of valsartan, verapamil, and spironolactone. Right. Let's now dig into what would probably cause most doubts for us vascular surgeons. What antithrombotic therapy would be best for this patient with recently implanted iliac stents, a profundoplasty, and an autologous femoral popliteal bypass? Yes, there are several possible combinations. Let's analyze each of them. As a CLTI patient, he needs long-term single antiplatelet medication. This is an undisputable, strong recommendation based on a high level of evidence aimed at reducing cardiovascular events. But the endovascular iliac revascularization calls for short-term addition of a second antiplatelet agent, recommended to reduce early stent-related acute thrombotic events. This double antiplatelet strategy does not add net clinical benefit after open procedures like the profundoplasty or the infraringinal saphenous bypass. The double antiplatelet regime for the iliac stenting would be recommended for only one to three months, with no proved additional benefit beyond the third month. However, in recently revascularized patients, the dual pathway inhibition strategy associated 2.5 mg of rivaroxaban twice daily to the antiplatelet regime proved superior results in the Voyager trial. This trial is particularly important for vascular surgeons because it is the only one which randomized patients specifically early after lower limb revascularization. The median age of the randomized patients was 67 years, 74% were men, 35% active smokers, 40% diabetic, 31% had known coronary artery disease, two-thirds were treated with endovascular techniques, and one-third with open surgery, 23% were revascularized because of critical limb-threatening ischemia. So, the results would be applicable to our patient. The primary composite efficacy endpoint was a combination of acute limb ischemia, major amputation for vascular causes, myocardial infarction, ischemic stroke, or death from cardiovascular causes, and it favored the dual pathway inhibition with a hazard ratio of 0.85, incidence of 17.3% versus 19.9% at three years. This protective effect was mainly significant for acute limb ischemia events, and also for the secondary endpoint of unplanned index limb revascularization for recurrent limb ischemia. In subgroup analysis, the clinical benefit was specifically significant in patients younger than 75 years, men, patients with normal renal function, non-diabetics, and patients with a surgical index procedure. Patients with chronic limb-threatening ischemia, as opposed to intervention for claudication, showed a strong trend towards a beneficial effect, but strictly without statistical significance, for a hazard ratio of 0.85, but confidence interval of 0.69 to 1.05. The authors of the Voyager trial recommend the dual pathway inhibition together with short-term double antiplatelet treatment for endovascular hybrid revascularization procedures to maximize the net clinical benefit, always estimating the patient's bleeding risk. In the trial, the dual pathway inhibition was associated with a slight non-significant increase in TME minor bleeding events, but with similar incidence of TME major bleeding, intracranial or fatal bleeding, compared to antiplatelet treatment. In light of the current evidence, this would be the ideal antithrombotic therapy for our patient. The dual pathway inhibition combination of aspirin 100mg daily and rivaroxaban 2.5mg twice daily, adding clopidogrel 75mg during the first postoperative month. 
The cardiovascular protection, overall and especially of limb-related ischemic events of the dual pathway inhibition, has proved to accumulate over time with clear net clinical benefit over the first three reported years. I very much look forward to reading future updates of the trial with the five-year data and beyond. This strategy is recommended in the 2021 ESC consensus document on antithrombotic therapies in aortic and peripheral arterial diseases. Okay, that is very helpful. We insisted on our previous podcast that, despite this patient being normal cholesterolemic, maintenance of statin treatment is a must. Absolutely. Long-term statins are adamant in all patients with PAD, even those with normal baseline cholesterol and LDL levels, again a secondary cardiovascular prophylaxis with class 1 recommendation. The target serum LDL level in this high-risk diabetic and vascular patient is below 55 mg per deciliter. We would maintain moderate or high-intensity statin therapy, 40 to 80 mg of atorvastatin or 20 to 40 mg of rosuvastatin daily, ideally, or the maximum tolerated dose combined with the CTMIB if needed. The new PSCK9 inhibitors are also recommended as an alternative. In our previous podcast, we briefly summarized the very scarce evidence available on celosazole and pentoxifilin in CLTI. Now the patient has been successfully revascularized, would we prescribe celosazole or pentoxifilin postoperatively? Right. We mentioned that there is no consistent evidence to recommend the use of celosazole or pentoxifilin in CLTI patients. In an earlier podcast, we also mentioned that the combination of aspirin and celosazole has proved to reduce restenosis and amputation rates after infraringinal endovascular treatment in some studies, but not after iliac stenting. Celosazole has some antiplatelet effect, and it would have no place, both in terms of limited evidence of clinical benefit and of unacceptable increased bleeding risk, by adding it to our antithrombotic strategy of dual pathway inhibition plus one month of associated clopidogrel. All clear, this patient would be discharged with dual pathway inhibition with 100 mg of aspirin once daily and rivaroxaban 2.5 mg twice daily, adding 75 mg of clopidogrel daily during the first month. 40 to 80 mg of atorvastatin or 20 to 40 mg of rosuvastatin daily for a target LDL of under 55 mg deciliter, a hypotensive regime adjusted to his blood pressure levels and directed by his cardiologist, and oral hypoglycemic drugs with close control of blood glucose levels. Smoking would be banned for life, a healthy hypocaloric diet and weight loss and a daily walking-based exercise program would be mandatory. This lifestyle readjustment would be followed and encouraged. That's right. The prognosis of his life and limb would depend on all of the above. That is great. Thank you very much for summarizing the latest and strongest evidence on this topic. My pleasure. Remember to always keep up to date by checking out the latest trials, meta-analysis and updates of the corresponding clinical practice guidelines. Absolutely. I hope you listeners out there have found this podcast useful. It complements and follows a previous clinical case scenario. Remember, you can listen to all the ESVS podcasts open access in SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the ESVS e-library and the Vascular Forum webpage. We will be back soon with more material for you. Have a great week. Bye for now.